Welcome once again to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. And welcome once again, everybody, to the Propreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt. As always, I'm excited to have you here listening in. Wherever you're listening, whether you're out taking a walk or you're on a treadmill or you're driving in your car on your way to work, I just want to tell you how much we appreciate you tuning in every week. And uh, for those of you that haven't subscribed, please do so. If you have subscribed already, thank you so much. And don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the show because this is the place where you're going to find the best practices on how to actually take your business to the next level. And not just that, but your life as well. And today we're going to prove that by another one of our amazing guests. We have Dr. Trista Feltion, and she is going to teach us how to really work with a business partner and create what I call a happy marriage between the two. Uh, Trista, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm excited about it. I, um, so I, we had a little bit of a conversation beforehand, and I got to figure out, obviously, I meet a lot of different people, and I'm like, where have we met before? And at PCSO, we had a bit of a party there at the PCSO. That was a lot yeah. of fun. And uh, you were part of the party planning squad, so that's pretty cool. That is correct. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, it is. It's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a privilege to get, a, to get to be a part of the annual session planning committees. Yeah, we had a great time in Hawaii there this year. Well, before we go on to our own personal stories together, tell everybody about yourself, uh, how you decided to get into dentistry. I always love the story of dentistry and ortho, of why, and then also uh, what you're up to now. Yeah, so I grew up in rural Pennsylvania, and I did not have anyone in dentistry or orthodontics, so it was something I hadn't been exposed to. But when I went to the dentist, you know, I actually loved my dentist. Uh, she, was, she was great. And she had three little boys that were close in age. So I thought she was the coolest person on the planet because she knew all about the Thundercats. And I was really into the Thundercats. Thundercats, who? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I always had such a positive experience. And I think those things, you know, those impressions last. And then, you know, the same happened when I went into my ortho treatment. My orthodontist, um, Dr. Robert Bryan, was amazing. And he totally didn't mind this little kid peppering him with a thousand questions at every appointment. And he invited me when I was in high school to come in. And I thought, you know, this is really cool. And I start looking at it as a career. And, you know, from there, I, you know, I went to college at Villanova. And while I was there, you know, I think that was my first like, oh crap moment because I really mm. wanted to do ortho and I didn't really have an interest in just general dentistry. And I think when I was starting to apply to dentistry, I was like, wait, there's not just like a check the box and you get to do ortho. I have to actually like be a dentist and then right. apply. There's a good chance. I may not get in at that point. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was a little rough, but uh, yeah. And then I went through dental school and my ortho training at Temple University and I met my husband uh, during dental school. He was a year ahead of me and he was supposed to be helping. He was in the oral surgery clinic and he wasn't. He ended up <laughs> suctioning my hair with a bloody suction tip. So wow. that's when we met. Yeah. Um, luckily, luckily, we got over that first meeting. Um, but yeah, and then I relocated to British Columbia, Canada, where he's originally from. And I initially started practicing out of his office. And then my partner and I joined uh, back in 2014 and opened our practice together in 2015. So is your husband a, a general dentist or is he an orthodontist as well? Yeah. So I made the smart move of marrying my referral base. And I have a <laughs> father-in-law 
brother-in-law, sister-in-law, and husband that are all general dentists in town. No joke. Really? Yes. Wow. (laughs) Then you have to move to where it is. Like, yeah, yeah. It wasn't really a question. My parents, I mean, they were a little bit upset, but it was kind of like, well, I I get it. That's right. That's right. Wow. That was very, very wise. And not only that, but you're the, probably the, the chances as, as we all talk about them. And I talk about a lot about how, more general dentists are doing more ortho, right? And so the referrals are going down. Probably you have a good like uh, argument to have, hey, uh, father-in-law, your yeah. three little grandkids, you know, can't have you not sending <laughs> referrals to me. So that's awesome. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So I it, love it. It's good and it, it, it keeps me really, I mean, I, you know, you get kind of so focused on what you do, which is great. But I think sometimes, you know, I forget what's going on in general dentistry a bit. And so it's nice, too, because they keep me in the loop of, you know, what's the new stuff and what's the new technology and what should I expect to see and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, you uh, have three little kids. I just gave that kind of spoiler alert later on. So you have th- uh, earlier. So you have three kids. Yeah, I have three girls. They're six, two and a half and one and a half. Wow. <laughs> Maybe we'll just take the rest of the time here to let you take a nap and we'll just... <laughs> I'll just be in silence for you. <laughs> Holy moly. Yeah, we, I know what that's like. like. We had three under three. So a three oh. and years is still like, wow, yeah, I, I get it. And three girls, I love my girls, and they love themselves a lot. And it's, uh, it's, it's work. It's work. Well, yeah. what, I, what I'm excited about is, uh, so we – have had a good amount of uh, of females on the show, Uh, not as many female doctors, which we're trying to get more and more of. But one of the things that I find fascinating about being a female doctor is, uh, and I think we all know this conceptually, we all kind of get this, is that the juggling that has to go on, as well as having to lead a team of other females isn't always the easiest thing to do. I get a lot of doctors, male doctors are like, I don't know how to deal with women, I don't know how to do this, whatever, right? But really, I think there's a whole nother dynamic when it's a female trying to lead a female in a female environment with what can go on and, and to empower these girls, so to be a true leader as in showing them what can be possible. It's fascinating to me. I love the, I'm not just saying this because you're here, but I, my wife and I talk about this. I love walking into a female uh, doctor-led environment because of what they can do. And I know there's even a bigger struggle there, though, too. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I have a, a male partner and mm-hmm. there is a different dynamic. And I think a lot of people that practice with someone of the opposite gender will also tell you that um, it's not that there's a different level of respect or anything. Our team is is awesome, but mm-hmm. there is a difference in terms of interactions. Yep. And, you know, it was funny the one time when probably only like a month or two into our joint practice. And there was a lot of the staff had come with my partner and, you know, he kind of made like an off comment and was just like, I think you know more about all the staff members than I do. And I've been working with them for like 10 plus years. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's just kind of how women socialize, but also because we can empathize with the same struggles they're going through. And that can be a good or a bad thing at times um, as well. And I think as a woman, there's also things that you want to do as a boss but then also because you want to empower women as well. So I think Mm -hmm. things like it can be frustrating if, you know, staff are coming and asking raises all the time. But on the other hand, we know women are way less likely to ask for a raise. So on the other hand, I kind of have to be like, well, I'm proud of you for asking. 
women don't tend to do that as often as they should. Um, so it's, it's a balance for sure. Yeah. And I think you have such a huge opportunity to um, educate kind of sounds like the wrong word, but even, even just to model how to do that type of thing. So for example, um, not being a, a female, one of the things that I do when I'm in front of any team is I say, let me tell you how you can get a raise almost every time you ask for it. And by the way, spoiler alert, it's not because you are breathing the same air for the last 12 months. Like there's things that you can prove and show, but now you'll feel empowered when you do go in and ask for that raise that it's, it, there's a reason for the raise. There's stuff you can do. And I give them the checkoff list of what to do, but you being yeah. able to show them there's an opportunity. I want you to ask me for a raise. You might not always get the raise, but I want you to ask for it. I think, you know, and, and having that, um, that role model is really, really just as important. And I love how you also recognize that it's also kind of a double-edged sword because you also are rooting for them in one, in one way and want to help them empower them. But on the other side, you also have to be fair and be like, yeah, I still need you to be on work to work on time because our core value right. is we need you to be on work on time. We all got children. Yeah. So you can't be the only one. So it, yeah, there's a balance there, right? Yes, exactly, exactly, which is what makes it hard, but also as rewarding, too. Just makes me think we should totally have a show on just about, like, how do you, a female doctor, lead, like, the best practices for female doctors leading females, and I'm just going to sit silent. Maybe I'll throw out a question, and I'll just let people go, because <laughs> I, I obviously have no stake in that, in that world, but that's fascinating to me. Let's talk about, for just a moment, um, you were working with your husband in his practice, Yes. And then, and then you made a, a shift at some point. Decided, hey, I'm gonna go and try to. Was it you wanted to open up your own practice, or you saw an opportunity to work with someone else, or you just wanted to separate business and home life, you know, every once in a while, and not work together and sleep together? Yeah. So you know, um, it was a little bit of everything. When I first graduated, um, and I'm sure this is common for most people, I felt adequately or inadequately prepared to run a business. Um, yeah. And so if, if someone had offered me like a full-time associateship position and just said, I want you to be an associate forever here, I would have been like, that's great. I will do that. I'm fine. Mm. There wasn't. Um, and, you know, I'm in Abbotsford, which is about an hour outside Vancouver. So it's it's a big town where when I moved, it's about 130,000. We're getting close to 200,000 now, seven years later. Mm. Um, wow. But, and I'm right on the border of Washington. So I even looked at like across the border, but it's, it's more sparse there. And I just couldn't find anything. So I thought, you know what? Um, my husband's in a building that's a little bit unique in the sense that it's a big building. There's five general dentists in the building. Um, so they don't share patients. They just kind of share common areas, x-ray room, there's space for labs. And so I was essentially like in-house for their building. And, and it was it was great. The nice part was it was kind of like I called it like a baby startup because I didn't have to hire a front desk. I was using everyone else's front desk and there were some assistants that could help me. And it was a good way to kind of start getting my feet wet. And about a year and a half into that, I got approached by an orthodontist who was in town not too far away and he couldn't renegotiate his lease. Um, the difference was he had been a general dentist for years, went back and did ortho when he was in his 40s. And so his practice was only about 15 years old, but he kind of said, you know, at my stage of my career, I'm not really ready to do a startup all over again by myself. Sure. And I wasn't quite ready to retire. So he initially approached me and said, do you want to take over some patients? 
And I was like, well, what if we just kind of merged it together and we became partners? Um, at that point, I wasn't really interested in associateship anymore because I kind of saw what, you know, the advantages of owning your own practice were like, at, you know, with my in-laws. And I thought I was kind of ready to tackle that. So we are unique because we merged two essentially practices that were already formed into mm. one. We co-treat all of our patients. And when we started, we had never practiced together a day in our lives. Wow. So it is different. It's probably not a model for everyone, but I, I love it. And it's been a great five years. You definitely have to go into it with the mindset that the most important thing is the practice and not you as an individual. And if it, it is wow. just like a marriage where if the marriage is doing well, both individuals benefit from it. But if only one individual is benefiting, the marriage fails and the same way a partnership kind of would fail. That's a great analogy and great um, uh, advice there going into it, knowing that it's not about you. It's about the practice and the growth of the practice. It's, it is like parenting, like you got to work it out for the kid. All right. It's, it's, it's it's, it's for that benefit. Well, I have to ask then. Okay. So you walk into this situation, obviously you guys had had enough conversation where you knew you at least, you know, liked each other enough to tolerate each other to, you know, whatever. But, um, you're skipping, you, you jumped from the, like you said, the associateship. What was it in your brain that made you go from, yeah, I could totally just be an associate, no problem, and not have to do the business side of this, to, all right, well, maybe I can do the business side too. Well, so we had had our oldest daughter in that time period, and I realized that if I really, truly wanted to be in control of my schedule, then I had to have mm. some kind of say in the game. Sure. And, you know, and I kind of went into ortho for a work-life balance. And so I was fine saying I'm okay working part-time and maybe making less, but knowing that I have the time I want at home or, sure. you know, as I mentioned, I'm pretty involved with like the organized side of, of orthodontics and dentistry. And it's something I love and I'm passionate about. And yeah. so that gives me the flexibility to, to do both. And so Peter and I, when we merged our practices, it was always the intent that it was I mean, essentially, it's almost the size of a one doctor practice that we split and we yeah. both, you know, normally three days a week. And we love that balance that it gives us. You know, he has two grandkids and he gets, you know, to babysit on his off days and be really involved. And he has four kids that are, you know, in town or in the near area. And, you know, for me, I get to be home with my girls and do the stuff that I want to do as well. Yeah. Wow. That makes a, a lot of sense. So um, when you get together, you decide, okay, we're going to merge this thing together. We haven't worked together. I got to assume there are some agreements that you put into place. There's some conversation around personality and uh, energy and culture of the office and things like that. So how did that come about? Yeah. So now we were both using um, the Damon system. So our treatment philosophies were on a similar track. So cool. kind of the first thing we did was sat down and thought, can we actually make it through treatment plans together? Because that's kind of the bread and butter of what our sure. practice is. Mm -hmm. So we started just kind of going through some cases and kind of laying out treatment plans. And I will say our staff was awesome with this because since they have to deal with us every day, yeah. they were the ones that had to be like super nitpicky and say, this is different. And sometimes it was things that were so small, like you bond the seven first and he bonds the six first, get out on the same page. And that way, like we knew our systems, like, cause you don't want to have staff having to memorize two different systems. I mean, that's like the sure. worst thing to stick on them. 
Sure. And so, you know, they can come back to us and say like, okay, one of you has to figure out which way you want to do it. Or both of you have to figure out a happy medium here. Yeah. So they were really an integral part of like picking apart any difference they saw in those first six months and saying, we want to have a system in place so that we know we're doing the same thing. Now there are of course, little things that, you know, we may still differ on. Um, but for the most part, we've kept it pretty straightforward. Um, in terms of like office culture, you know, I think, you know, Peter is very friendly, very laid back. And I think we just initially, you know, in our meetings kind of meshed well personally and felt like, you know, I am always a firm believer that my patients don't come to see me. They come to see my team. So they have to be the ones that really embrace office culture and set the tone of the office. And I think if your team is thinking that you are going to be, I mean, you have to lead and be by example, but if you're the one setting the culture, one person is not setting the culture in your office. So we've kind of always said that, like you guys need to be the ones that kind of carry the momentum day to day and keep things similar so that patients are getting a same experience when they come back, no matter who they see. That's great. That's the the Disney idea, right? That um, you go to Walt Disney World, you go to Disneyland, you go to Tokyo Disney, you still leave there feeling like you went to Disneyland and got the same experience no matter what. It's exactly. So, yeah. So crucial. yeah. It is about the cast members. It's about that team and them being able to implement your wishes and your your desires. I love this idea. I actually wrote it down as you were talking here about everyone being on the same page, even with treatment. And it's something, there's a conversation that's been coming about, uh, up a lot lately with my coaching clients where, you know, the ones that are talking about maybe getting an associate and what they need to do. And we talk about the type of person they want to have work with them, the personality traits and the skill level and stuff like that. But I don't know if we always sit down and say, so is there a, you know, is there a methodology? Is there a, 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 a what way, right? That you want that person to be open to learning so that it's not just a matter of the patients getting the same thing. But as you said, you're the assistants, even the treatment coordinators, they all know oh, this is just the way we do it because it's the Disney way, right? Or it, it's, yeah. it's, it's your practice way. I think it's so important. Yeah, you don't want staff to feel like they're doing something different based on the doctor that's there. Right. And so that was kind of like the core of it for us was to be able to interchange the doctors. And that was actually really important to us. Like a lot of times on our schedules, like it didn't even say what doctor was there because it didn't matter. It was going to be, a doctor was going to be there and the patients were going to get the same treatment. A lot of times when you co-treat, wow. you run the risk of treatments going too long because you're not on the same page. And so things get extended because you're kind of like, I don't know where they were going. Um, you know, and that occasionally still happens to us where we're looking at a case and I'm kind of like, all right, I think I know where, where we are. Or, you know, maybe a parent comes in and changes the plan on you. But we've been really good about like creating little like stickies or to-dos for us where it's like, hey, look at this case. I threw something in there that was new that I saw at a meeting and you know, so you're gonna, it's going to be weird. That's so and, um, smart, yeah, right? That just, communication yeah. there. Great. Yeah, exactly. So it's just trying to keep everyone in the loop. And so the same thing when we introduce something and I think both of us have been really flexible about the introduction of things. So if we go somewhere and we see something new and it's like, Hey, we want to try it. There's not really resistance. It's okay. Let's, let's try it for a couple of cases and see how it goes. And then we can always make a decision, you know, after that. So what you said there a moment ago, I think is really golden. I hope people, you know, if you can, if you're in a car, somebody take notes, if you can bookmark this spot, you know, you talking about that ability to make sure we're both on the same page 
so that treatment doesn't run over, so that we're all uh, we're all reading from the same book. And oftentimes, I feel like it can get into that place of like, well, you know, as long as the patient's happy. Well, yeah, that's what we want. But we also want everybody in the office happy so that they're not freaking out trying to figure out what the coding is or what, what's this special thing they did here or why is this totally different from last time they came in or two times ago when we decided on something else. Uh, and that, that's so important. Wow, that's, that's awesome. I love that. So were there any, um, when, it, when it comes to culture, obviously you have a team that you wanted them to, to lead with that. Uh, with what you wanted and make sure that it is about those patients understand. And, and by the way, that too is a golden nugget of understanding people come to see your team, which can be scary yeah. for people who are going through transition or construction in their team right now, right? Where there are people they're having to love into another job and they're worried about letting them go because everybody likes them. I get that. But um, I'm going to say this at the risk of people not listening to the show anymore, but there <laughs> tends to be a few doctors out there, not everybody, that seem to think that it's the doctor show when the patients come and that the doctor is the reason, like they have to be in that exam room for 20, 30 minutes because they got to put on the show and people want yeah. to see the doctor. And I always say, you know, Walt Disney's been dead for over 50 years and I've never seen him and I still go to Disneyland and I think I, I, it, it, you recognize, the point is that you recognizing that the team gets you to the Super Bowl and to win the championship is way better than you helping win one game. Yes. And, you know, I took my treatment coordinator to Leanne Paniche's course mm -hmm. last year, and she talked about this. Um, and I think we've always done a pretty good job of keeping me in and out of that consult room in like under seven minutes. But, and that's probably just because like, it's, I'm not helping my clinical staff if I'm not out in the clinic. That's and right. so it's again, being respectful of their time out in the clinic, because it's not my time, it's their time. They're the mm -hmm. ones that are rushing around and doing all the hard work. And I get to be nice and friendly and sit and be like, hi, how are you? And um, so she was the one that kind of said, like, the patients don't come to see you. And if you're in a recall and the patient is established in your practice, you know, try like not having the doctor come in. If this is a patient that's there and they're not ready for treatment and you're just seeing them because it's their six month or their, you know, year. And we've done that for a few patients now. And it was funny because, you know, like Bobby would come out and she'd be like, yeah, they didn't care. They didn't miss you today. And they don't because that's not why they're there. You know, they want to know that they're being monitored. They're being seen. We update our, their photos. I'm going to look at them later anyway. But, you know, I trust that Bobby's been trained well. She knows what she's looking for. She'll come get me if anything unusual is going on. And yeah, but I mean, so now we kind of joke about it, but it is, it's very true that you don't need to be there all the time. So uh, I totally love that. And I, I absolutely a hundred percent agree I also, to add to that, think that if you've done your job right between the OBS appointments by sending not just the birthday card of the, oh yeah, we're going to see you in a month, and but you don't take that for granted. You actually have a systematic way to keep you top of mind that you're looking out for them, you're caring for them, and you're, you can't wait to see them again, or hey, don't forget about this. And like you're doing it literally, I believe, on a monthly basis. I don't care if it's a two-year span and it's still monthly or a year span, it's still monthly. Then by the time they get into that room, they'll have 
had had enough of you to make that a no-brainer. Be like, oh yeah, this is just part of what we're doing. We're absolutely coming back here. We're not shopping around. We don't need to see the doctor because you guys are part of our life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So important, so important. Okay, so here we have, um, you had a, a unique situation, obviously getting a partner yeah. that, you know, you kind of both came to the mutual agreement on that of let's put together. But I'm sure you have uh, colleagues, you have other friends that have been in situations where they're considering getting a business partner, but they're not quite sure if they can either handle it or if it's the right thing. What's your advice in that realm of if somebody is listening to the show right now and you were to say, okay, these are some of the things that you should probably look out for besides stuff we've already talked about uh, of having that business partner relationship which I think in some ways also translates enough into the associate relationship too, because that person is going to be working yep. with you, right? They're a partner and yep. making sure your business is good. What advice would you give? I think the biggest thing is to always look at any conversation you're having, especially when you're kind of establishing what your relationship is going to be from the other person's perspective. Mm. Um, I think sometimes when we get so closed-minded and you're going to have an account, you should have an accountant and lawyer, they're clearly on your side and your spouse is clearly on your side. So they're going to be your most biased opinions yeah. um, because that's literally what you're paying them for. Yep. So you have to also though be able to take it and go from the other side and say, okay, what are they actually trying to get out of the thing that I'm not really loving? Is it, because maybe it's not a deal breaker for them, or maybe it's something that their accountant said to them you should have, but to them, they're kind of like, I'm, you know, I'm okay on this. We can change this. We can meld it. Um, and so I think it's one, not to be afraid of the conversation, but two, also not to assume that they're out to get you. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of this advice, like when I, when we, Peter and I were joining, you know, he had never worked with someone either. So we didn't quite know what our partnership agreement should look like. And what we kind of did was we found a lawyer initially to address what kind of like an unbiased, what he felt like should be in partnership agreement. And then we each got our separate lawyer to look it over Smart. and come back and say, well, you know, this, you know, this could be where it could be a benefit to you or a negative to him. These are the areas you're going to have to give and take. Um, so I think going into those conversations, you know, sometimes having a third party review things can be really helpful just to mm -hmm. kind of look at it and say, you know, I don't, I don't have any skin in the game here. And I think that this is biased toward one of the parties. Um, obviously, as an associate, you're going to have a little bit less leverage because essentially you're accepting a job sure. offer. But that doesn't mean you don't have any leverage. Right. Um, and of course, going in as a, a partner, then it's going to be, you know, a little bit of a bigger deal. But I also think if you want it to work think about what it means long-term. I know there was like a time where my partner and I were kind of looking at, there was like 30 grand where we couldn't figure out like who owed it or, you know, we're trying to evaluate how much we're bringing to the table. And goodwill is all this kind of like magical formula that you make up and figure out. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember my, you know, my father-in-law saying to me, how long do you plan on practicing? And then divide 30 grand over the number of years you think you're going to practice and come up with a number that you feel would be fair if I told you you could guarantee having an amazing partner. How much would you pay a year or a month to know you had an awesome partner? Because if you feel like he's a great partner, he's like you would pay way more than 30 grand over the course of your career to know that you had a great partner. And he's like, to me, this is like a non-conversation anymore. And when you look at it from that perspective, you realize like, yeah, at the time it was a lot of money. I mean, it was a car. My husband and I were still like sharing sure. his car from like he, when sure. he was 16. Yep. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, did we make that money back? Of course, you know, right. that was, that was nothing at the time. 
I oh, love yeah. that. I, I mean, think about that of uh, having that third party. How smart is that? I mean, I've seen some, I, I am, I'm no exaggeration. I was in the middle of one in particular uh, partnership where it was like a bad marriage and then became a bad divorce. And of course there's the hurt feelings and there's the anger and the upset and these two gentlemen, I felt because they're both really good at what they did and they could have done great things if they would have had someone outside of the two of them, no skin in the game, just somebody on a bias, uh, unbiased, as well as someone who, this is why I love mentorship so much. And this is why I tout it so much for everybody should always have a mentor because you can't smell your own breath, right? You yeah. need that person to go, well, that's weird. Why would you put that 30,000 here? That doesn't make any sense. Or, so let's think about this logically. Let's look at this $30,000 spread over the time that you're going to be working there, right? Like, that's what you need is that voice of reason. And like you said, not the spouse, not the attorney, not the, the, the CPA, because they're all on your side. And that's great. I think they sh everybody should have that. And you need the, you, you need the best girlfriend or friend who's going to be like, yeah, I don't know why you're fighting about this. This is dumb. Yeah. But the other thing is too, is also planning, like you're talking about when things go bad. So preemptively planning yes. every possible exit strategy you can imagine. And it's so surprising that people really only have like a buyout strategy because that's mm -hmm. assuming everything went well. Right. It's like you need a, what if someone dies? What if someone gets disabled? What if someone gets a terminal illness and they just decide, I don't want to practice anymore because this is not worth it. You know, you need everything under the sun. I mean, we probably have like five or six scenarios in our agreement of like, what could happen? You know, we have it down to like, who gets the name? Who gets the phone number? Who gets the, the website? I mean, it's, it's detailed. But you, if you want to plan to build together well, you also have to plan to break it up well, because that's the only way it's going to work. That is so wise. Uh, man, as you're listing off those different, different things go wrong, even the, the secondary things that could go wrong that you don't think about, right? Like someone's spouse gets sick and so they need to, they want to stay with them because, and they don't want to work as much or child gets sick and they like, there's so many scenarios that we don't always plan for, but in this situation, especially as a partnership, it just makes sense. It, I bet it helps you sleep so much better at night. Well, it does because then, you know, too, like if, like you said, if I had something and I wanted to go back home to Pennsylvania because my parents were sick and I decided I'm taking a couple of years off from work and I'm going to go back there, you know, we have an agreement and a, like a structured way for him to buy my half immediately so that it's fair to him because he's doing it right away. And it's still fair to me. I can still get some of, some of my money back. And I think that helps you. You don't feel like you have to stay. I mean, you want to stay. That's why you're there. It's not like, well, I don't have a good out and I'm going to take a huge loss and we've never discussed this. So I'm going to stay in this bad relationship. Yeah. Um, it allows you to transition if you need to. And I think that's important and it gives you a sense of security. hundred percent, hundred percent. Wow. That's all just golden stuff right there. That is amazing. Let me ask you this because I like to always explore this, especially with my professionals, my doctors and, um, I don't know how aware you are, this, are, are of this, but many of our uh, listeners knows that, you know, we have, private practice owners from all different specialties. We have orthodontics and dentistry and chiropractic and uh, plastic surgeon. We're going to have a veterinarian on soon, like all over the place, because I believe that the best practices are the best practices, are the best practices, right? Um, yep. Every business, no matter how 
well thought out, no matter how happy we are with what we're doing, has challenges. It does. It's kind of challenges. Um, let's go to the, like, let's be a little uh, um, personal, if you will, or just like, let's be a little selfish for you. Where in your business right now do you feel you're, you're having the biggest challenge that you're trying to overcome? I mean, I think for me, like staff management is, is always a challenge. Mm. Um, and I think that's just because you always get staff in and out. And so we had a couple staff members that in the fall had, had moved. We had some that transitioned into different parts of their lives and took time off of work. And, you know, in Canada, when we have mat leaves here, they're 12 to 18 months. So we also had a staff member who was out on mat leave. Um, so then you get a whole different That means maternity leave for us Americans. That, oh, yeah. means, that means maternity yeah. leave for us Americans. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing you don't really get in the States. They're not just laying on a mat for age 12 to Like, they're, 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 yeah. it's <laughs> Yeah, which again, I, as a woman, fully support. Sure. But it's a huge challenge, right, sure. when you get someone into the office. Now, we were lucky enough to have a temp come in who, when we had a staff member leave, now is going to be full-time. But mm. I think for me, it's kind of, the best way to train new staff members without being a burden to your current staff members, because you're essentially giving them another job, right? Yep. And you're putting yep. a lot of responsibility on them. So that's something I still kind of struggle with. We've, we've played with a couple different things where I've d done like tasks and we've done one where I've had them shadow a specific person. And I still haven't found like the perfect recipe. I think part of it's just dynamics, but yeah, I, I find that's always still a struggle. Have you used um, uh, videos? No, we haven't. And my husband just started recording stuff at his office. So I have a feeling yeah. like, yes. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of this. Uh, I actually, with all of my coaching clients, I'm like, look, you need to pop out that cell phone and record the heck out of stuff. So for example, um, one of the things that I do with the front desk is if somebody's, you're exactly right, by the way, your point being if you're going to get the best person you can to train your new employee because you want them to learn from the best, but you're also now cutting that person's effectiveness, the best employee in at least half, if not more, because they're right. now doing two jobs and they're slowing themselves down. And this came to me one day, I was watching one of my uh, team members, they were um, training two people at the front desk at once. And the top person in the office was training them. And it, it was like watching paint dry for me. I was like, why are we doing that? And she's doing a good job teaching them, but it's slowing everything down. So I just said, you know, if you were just to videotape yourself doing that, using even a screen capture on for all the software that you use, and uh, yep. you do say 10 minute videos at a time, and you put them all in a folder on that video, uh, on the on that computer, then anytime they have that question about like, how did you do that thing again? Or how do we do that? then they, you can just say, well, go to the folder on the computer and click on it and watch that video again. Or uh, this is idea. one that I had them do. As I said, uh, record, take 10 of your recordings from your, uh, your, your director of first impressions is what I call them, uh, your front desk person or your uh, receptionist and have 10 recordings of various types, angry mother, happy mother, easy kid, you know, whatever, and put those all, label them and put those in a thing and have that new person listen to those before they even get one minute on that phone so they can already know kind of what the cadence is and how do we answer every phone call. And it's, it's already in your office. You just have to record it. And technology right. nowadays makes it so easy. Um, right. Actually, today, this morning, I interviewed somebody for another episode on the podcast 
from uh, the, the owner of Dundesk. Have you heard of Dundesk before? Yes, yes. So he, this is basically, this is essentially what they do and they've got their own stuff, but then you can also just upload your own to it if you want to put your own stuff cool. in there. And then, and it will send your team members an email every Friday to say, have you done this for compliance? Have you done this video for that? And you can like call them on it and track them on it and, and, and follow up. And anyways, I was like, this is what I'm talking about, dude. So anyways, there's. Sorry, everybody That's listening. Really we just went on a tangent on helping you fix it, but hopefully that helps somebody else today too. <laughs> no, no, I think that's great. I think a lot of people could use it for sure because it's the best way for people to be reminded of things as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm just a big proponent of not having to overthink stuff. And, you know, your cell phones have amazing cameras on them that you literally can pull out and just start recording even in people's mouths, like you have, obviously you want to get the waivers and stuff like that, but at this note that I want you to tighten it this way or add this to it this way. And you have a video of it and now you can see it over and over again. And the point of all that is when you have the library, the first thing you have them do is sit down and watch all of those videos. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the use of the best person in your office is so much faster and it's not bogging everything down. So, wow. Okay. We could talk, for hours. I love that you, what you've been doing here. And I love the fact that you are, I mean, you're obviously so positive about the partnership uh, plan that you went down and what you guys were able to do. Um, we've kind of come to the section in our show where we ask some rapid fire questions to get some rapid fire answers back from you. All right, are you okay sure. to play? All right. Yeah, of course. So the first question is a big one, which is okay. what is the number one thing that you wish they would have taught you in graduate school? Or oh, school anything to, anything to do with business. I mean, I literally had nothing. I didn't even know how to like do a normal accounting spreadsheet. I mean, anything in business would have been helpful. Isn't it fascinating? I had, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I, I won't go too far in this, but we did. I, my wife was doing an interview once with somebody uh, and she said, well, we understand that, you know, uh, you've never had employees before and, and, and had to lead somebody before. And the, the uh, doctor t stopped her and she goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I've never had a job before because even in high school, I didn't have to have a job. I was just to study. My job was to study. Then I went to college. Then I, I've never had a job. So I don't not just know how to be a, a boss. I don't know how to be an employee. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, I'm kind of similar because I was a swimmer in college and that paid for college. Yeah. But, so in high school, I swam and I lifeguarded, but I mean, it's like right. the most non-job job you can have. So, <laughs> You know, and then in college I was swimming. And so then I was babysitting as like my job gig so I can make some cash. But essentially yep. there was no time for me to hold a job. And so, yeah, I yep. can completely sympathize with that. Yeah. So yeah. so yeah, to teach that is so important. I, hopefully they'll, it'll catch up. Well, if they did, I'd be out of a job. So, but you know, <laughs> but yeah, I hear that a lot. Okay. Um, I'm a huge reader. I love listening to audiobooks and, and listening to new books and new ideas. Cause I think there's so much information in there. What's a book that you believe every private practice owner should be reading? Okay, so I have two, and I'm sure you've already read the first one. Um, be Our Guest by the Disney Institute. It's so and good. I think it's crucial for staff because they give so many examples of how Disney caters to like their, the 1%. And I don't mean their top spenders. I mean, literally the customer that's only going to come in once in their life. Yeah. And they still cater to that person. They make sure everyone has like a magical experience. So I think it's a great book for everyone in your office to read. 
And then I think in terms of with women, so whether you're a woman or the fact that you're going to deal with a lot of women, I love the Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Oh, yeah. My wife loves that book. She's <laughs> talked about that before. I have to ask a follow-up question with what you just said, though, because uh, I love unicorns. And okay. you just said uh, you make all of your team members read a book. And, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and I, I got to guess, you, you pay them for the time they're reading or something? Or do you just say, no, I want you to read the book? Um, so I basically make it where I encourage staff to, I will buy them whatever books they want that are on like office culture or things like that. I also make like summary sheets and we use Blinklist a lot as well that, you know, they don't have to read the full thing. I need them to get the gist and to be kind of on board. If I feel like I read a book that was awesome. Um, my husband is actually, you'd probably love this better. He does pay a staff. They have to write a report on the book that they read. So he gives them, he pays nice. them on the report because he feels people read at different speeds and whatever. So he's more paying for them to get something out of the book, which I think is awesome. So he does, he pays for a report. <laughs> I love that idea. And I was being a little facetious and jokey about like that you paying them because uh, I think it was uh, Kirk Strumberg that I was talking to and he was like, yeah, I make everybody read um, raving fans. And I was like, I have so many people that I say, have your team read such and such book. And they're like, well, they want to get paid for it or I have to pay them overtime or whatever. And he's like, no, it's called the job, you know, and <laughs> reading for the job. So that's being confused. But I love the idea of paying for the book report because then you can understand what they got out of it and their point of view. And so that's great. I love it. Yep, well, exactly. The books, obviously, I focus a lot on team culture and team performance in my book, The Practice Rx, as the foundation for business growth. So as a colleague, as somebody who's really involved in helping people get more out of their practice, especially with your work you do with the PCSO, what's the biggest challenge that you see private practice owners facing with their teams and their office culture? Um, I think it's recognizing that you can't make a change to office culture by just telling your staff you're going to do something different. Um, I think it's really, you can't come home. Like we all come home for meetings energized. And a lot of times all of our staff aren't there. If any of our staff are there and we just like spout off all these things we're going to do. And it's, it's out of context. The staff is going to look at you like you have three heads and be like, why, why? Like, you know, this is a Simon Sinek, like get to your why. And yep. so I think, you know, what you have to do is kind of get a staff member on board, have them take ownership of whatever the change is going to be and let it spread. Um, because you just telling them we're going to do this now, it's really just you just giving them a different and job description and some will take it and some won't. 100%. So true. Love it. Um, are you open to if people wanted to reach out and just ask you questions and stuff through like email or something like that? Are you open to that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What, what's um, the best way for them to reach is, you? Yeah, probably email. Um, my personal email is just my, my name, Trista.felty at gmail.com. It's F-E-L-T-Y. That's correct. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And we'll put that in the show notes as well so people can click on that. All right. So kind of a more broad question for some people. It's a bit deeper, but what what's the best advice that you've received in life or business? So I think it was my club swim coach who hounded into me the quote, success is a journey, not a destination. Mm -hmm. And I think I've kind of always lived by that principle in the sense that I'm constantly trying to see how I can change 
um, or what kind of the next step is. And it's not, you know, and also that kind of taught me to be happy with where I was because it wasn't like I was trying to get somewhere. And if I wasn't there, I wasn't happy. It's there's kind of small steps along the way. And I think that was really important for me to learn at a young age. And yeah. it taught me goal setting and it taught me, you know, how to focus on short and long-term goals. And I think that's kind of something I've carried with me. That's great. Love it. Lastly, what's the best resource or tool that you use to grow your practice? Um, my staff. I mean, really, they have to be the ones that bring you the ideas because they're the ones that are going to change it. And I think I've been learning slowly to invest more into my staff. Um, I think a lot of times we kind of, you know, our staff has to earn it, um, you know, whether it's a, a trip and I get it can be expensive. Um, but I think kind of, you know, we've started more taking a staff member and saying, hey, you know, like my TC, we took her to the Paniche course and then taking a staff member to a different course and saying, you're going to be in charge of this. Um, but there's a resource that you have already in your office. And I think it's a resource that is underutilized for a lot of people. Um, I, I know some offices, you know, they'll actually reward their staff based on their ideas. So at staff meetings, if there's something that, you know, they'll have all the staff members say an idea and then whichever one they all collectively vote on, that person gets like a prize. Nice. Um, but you have all these heads there and they're yep. all committed to the practice, to their job. They want their job to be better and easier and more fun. So ask them for, for help in doing it. So important. Uh, you will always get way better answers and information and thoughts and even just sparks of ideas when you're using all the heads instead of your one. No matter how smart you are, I stand in front of people yeah. all the time and say, you're going to get way more out of the collective of you than you are going to be about me. So I hope you're not thinking I have all the answers. Um, so, so important. Well, Dr. Felty, Trista, you've been amazing. I mean, just really thank you for such great knowledge. And I know that people are walking away from this uh, podcast just like, wow, that was a ton of information, like a master class on how to deal with a partner and how to get into a partnership. And it, it really, I, I take it very seriously. And I honor the time that you uh, took away from your family and from yourself to be here. I really, really do appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I'm actually surprised none of the kids busted in. So I would call well, that would have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, everybody listening, please reach out if you have any questions. I'm, I'm sure that she uh, that she would be happy to help out with that. Um, and thank you so much for for being a part of the show again. For those of you that are listening and you are regular uh, listeners, again, thank you for being here and listening to the Best Practices podcast. You know, our goal is always to help you be more proactive in your life, more profitable in your business, and always, always be the professional that you want to be. So thank you for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.